0: Thank you for listening to audio content from South Cities Church in Lakeville, Minnesota. For more information or resources, visit us online at southcities.church. Let's pray. I ask for your help now, Lord, because I'm inadequate to this task. Pray that your Holy Spirit would come and take the feeble words that I offer and do your work in the hearts of your people here, and all who may be listening on live stream, or wherever they may be, would you do your work, and would you be lifted up and glorified here today, Jesus? In your name we pray, amen. Well, we're gonna take a two-week break from Genesis during uh, the celebration of the resurrection coming next week. And today, of course, is Palm Sunday, so it's proper for us to celebrate with the kids and the palm branches and all of that. That would be very natural. But I want to make verse 32 the focus of our attention this morning, where Jesus says, and I, when I am lifted up, from, when I'm lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. I think the main point Jesus is making there, and I want to be the main point of this message is that he's drawing all people. And then we're gonna take a secondary observation from that. I'll get to that in just a moment. So the main point is this, that Jesus being lifted up from the earth is drawing all people to himself and that he has always been drawing people to himself. He's been drawing people to himself throughout his earthly ministry leading up to his crucifixion and he will draw people to himself in everything that happens through his resurrection and exaltation flowing out from that. Now here's the secondary observation. He's not drawing by his charisma or personality. In fact, in this passage and throughout his life and ministry on earth, Jesus seems to seek to downplay any fame or popularity that grows. Around him. He he applies the kingdom principle that the way to exaltation is to humble yourself. I put it this way: the way up in God's kingdom is to go down. The way to be first is to be the servant of all. So, with that as the main point and that secondary observation in mind, I want to trace those two things through this passage. And then we'll end by discussing what that means for us today. So let's start with what Jesus means by being lifted up and by drawing all people. I think the Apostle John defines for us what he means by being lifted up. In the very next verse, verse 33, he said this to show what kind of death he was going to die. And that's true, isn't it? In crucifixion, the victim is nailed to a cross, he's lifted up, the bottom of the cross is put in the ground but the, the criminal being executed never actually touches the ground. Now the point of lifting the person being executed up high is so that everyone can see him. It's a public display and it's meant as a deterrent to anyone else who would engage in crimes that would be worthy of that death. But I think there's a couple clues in the rest of this passage that kind of tell me that maybe Jesus is using his death as sort of a euphemism for his ultimate glorification. So why do I say that? Well, I think one clue is in, in what Jesus says in verses 23 and 24. So take a look back there with me. Watch him connect his death and his glorification there. He says, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Okay, there's the glorification. But then he says, truly, truly, so that means listen up, listen up. I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. So notice a couple of things here. First, Jesus says that it's the hour for him to be glorified. But then... He likens that glorification to a seed that has to first fall into the ground and die. I think Jesus is making a connection here that for him, glorification begins with suffering and death. Glorification begins with suffering and death and then it includes everything that flows out from that. So his resurrection, his ascension on high, his current ministry, even now, of interceding for us. All of that begins with death. Now Jesus had all glory with the Father in eternity past. He was the second person of the Trinity, one with the Father and the Spirit, and now he's going back to that glory after humbling himself for a time in his earthly ministry. But that glorification begins with death. All right, second, what does he mean by drawing all people? Well, I think he means exactly that. His death and subsequent exaltation has the result of drawing everybody to himself, everybody in the whole world. The fact is that Jesus in his life, death, Resurrection and exaltation is the unavoidable issue for everyone in the world, everyone. Now different people are gonna have different responses. But no matter how they respond, this lifted up Jesus is drawing you to himself. Now I think that by being drawn, <clears throat> he, means, he doesn't mean that all people are gonna believe. Okay, so this is, this is not necessarily the kind of drawing we see. For example, when he, he says something similar in John 6, 44, he says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. There I think Jesus is referring to those whom the Father has predestined and is now saving. And here, I think he really does mean all, everybody. And we'll see it throughout the passage. So Jesus is saying that his glorification through death and subsequent exaltation is gonna make him the unavoidable issue for every human being without exception. Sooner or later, everyone has to deal with Jesus. And as we walk through this passage, we're gonna see that he's been drawing all people all along. Some will be drawn to him and be saved, some will be drawn and reject, but all must deal with Jesus. But here's that secondary observation. It isn't going to be by charisma or capitalizing on his spreading fame that he draws. In fact, it seems like he goes out of his way to do just the opposite. Whatever we might think someone would do if they sought attention, to draw attention to themselves, he does the opposite. Yet still he draws. So let's see this play out as we walk through the passage together. So. First, Jesus draws a crowd but humbles himself. Take a look at verses 12 to 19. Now, normally we call this the triumphal entry. But I think the more appropriate name would be the humble entry. Let's take a look at the context that this grows out of. So back in chapter 11, Jesus has just raised Lazarus from the dead. This is probably the pinnacle miracle of his ministry. It's a rather dramatic event. It's witnessed by a large crowd and it demonstrates his power over life and death. Now some of the people in that crowd that see that believe and others go and rat him out to the Pharisees. You can see that back in chapter 11. So for a few days after that miracle, Jesus goes into hiding. He goes to a little village on the edge of the wilderness with his disciples and he's hiding. Trying to let the commotion settle down but his disciples and the crowds are wowed by that miracle and the news of it spreads to nearby jerusalem so that when he makes his entry into the city a few days later there's already quite a crowd of people around him now this is a passover right and every year at passover Jerusalem would be filled with pilgrims from all over the Roman Empire, especially around the Judean region. I think I read this week that there are often up to two million people in Jerusalem around Passover. That's a lot of people for a little Middle Eastern town in the first century. So Jesus is already pretty controversial and word about him is spreading throughout the city of Jerusalem. So the crowd is drawn. So that's our context for this humble entry into Jerusalem. So with that as a context, I think we can get a sense of how strange Jesus' action here. He takes a ride on this young donkey. Now, why does he do that? I think he's got a couple of reasons for doing that. Number one, he's fulfilling a prophecy in Zechariah 9.9. Now, the apostle John here, gives us just kind of a paraphrased version of that prophecy. But let me read you the the whole prophecy from Zechariah. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. Did you hear the humble part in there? So we see all of this being fulfilled here. There's a rejoicing among the crowd. They're shouting hosannas. They're calling him even the king of Israel. But wouldn't a king ride on a mighty war horse? Don't you think that's what he'd do? With his army and trail demonstrating his glorious victory? I think Jesus deliberately chooses a donkey, not simply to fulfill the prophecy, but to show that he's a humble king. He's he's trying to lessen the fanaticism of the crowd. So he picks this beast of burden and a baby one at that so that no one is going to be drawn to him because he cuts such a magnificent figure. As the prophecy says, this is a rather humble and lowly entry into this city. Jesus doesn't draw by the power of his might and glory. He could do that, but he doesn't. Now, in spite of his rather humble entry, the crowd still gathers and they praise him. He's drawing all people in spite of this. And he's even drawing his enemies. Take a look at verse 19. He's got the attention of the Pharisees, and they admit that the whole world is going after him. So no one in this scene can avoid Jesus, whether you're the the celebrating crowds or you're the Pharisees who can't figure out what to do about this guy. No one can avoid Jesus despite his ignominious entry. And then secondly, let's look at Jesus drawing his followers to a hard road. Now he's really drawn a couple of groups here, the Greeks and his own disciples. Let's take a look at verses 20 to 26. So these Greeks, they're probably Gentile converts to, to Judaism. And they've made the pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover like so many others. They see this crowd and the commotion and they've heard the rumors circulating about this Jesus and how he raised a guy from the dead and all the miracles that he performed. And then they come to Philip. They come to Philip. Now this is one of Jesus' own disciples. So they see an opportunity here to meet this celebrity, Jesus. So... The picture that came to my mind, imagine that you run into somebody who might be able to get backstage passes to meet one of your favorite musicians. So, who might that be? I don't, Taylor Swift, I don't know. Um, oh, let's pick a Christian artist, Lauren Daigle, somebody like that, okay. They get you backstage passes. They could get you backstage passes. Wouldn't you be tempted to ask them? Hey, can, can I get back and meet them? I think that's what's going on here. These Greek guys are getting a chance, maybe get a chance by meeting Philip to get back and see Jesus. So they ask him, we want to see Jesus. The word see literally means interview. They want an interview. They want an audience with Jesus. So Jesus is drawing these Greeks even before they see him or meet him. But it's really interesting to me. So Philip goes and gets Andrew, and and together they go and and approach Jesus with this request. And Jesus gives one of the strangest responses. He seems to completely ignore these Greek guys. he's, He's not even talking to them. He isn't looking to sign autographs or grant interviews to curiosity seekers. Instead, he says this strange We've already looked at it briefly, he says a strange thing, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now what kind of response is that? And then he describes what he means by that glorification, we've already looked at it, it's kind of a glorification through death, so death slash glorification, and like we noted earlier, it's not what we expect. He uses this imagery of a grain of wheat going into the ground and dying before it can bear fruit. Only in dying does it yield fruit. And clearly he means this imagery for himself. He's referring to himself. He's the grain of wheat that has to die in order to bear fruit. And then we run into verses 25 and 26. And it's interesting to me As you look through the Gospels, and you see the cases where Jesus speaks of his approaching death, he almost always follows that up with a call to radical discipleship. To his own disciples who are already following him. So Jesus is even drawing them. Uh, Mark 8 verses 31 to 38 is just one example. Right after Jesus tells his disciples about his approaching death and resurrection, you remember in that story, Peter rebukes Jesus. Well, that doesn't work out too well. But Jesus says something very similar to what he says here. So let's take a look at what he says here. He basically says, if you love your life, you're going to lose it. But if you hate your life in this world, you'll keep it to eternal life. Now, he's speaking to his disciples here, not to these Greek guys, that they've seemed to have dropped out of the picture. And then he says that if anyone wants to serve him, he must follow him and be where he is. Well, where's he going? He's going to a cross. He's not going to a very inviting place. Now, if you want to draw people and be popular, this is not the kind of message you want to convey, okay? So it's kind of like, hey, so I'm, I'm going to die, and if you want to follow me, you might die too. So don't love your life here on earth too much. Don't, don't fall too much in love with life here on earth. If you want to follow me, you'll be where I am, and I'm going to my death. But then look how he ends it there right at the end. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So do you see that connection? First we go down to death, and then comes exaltation. First comes lowliness, then comes honor. So Jesus makes it clear to all who follow and hear about him that that it's not about rubbing shoulders with a celebrity. That's not what he's here to do. It's not about attaching yourself to someone famous and popular. Sure, he promises eternal life, but first, Jesus will go through trials, hardship, rejection, maybe even death. That's what he went through, that's what we may go through. It's almost like Jesus is trying to discourage his disciples from following him, and anybody from following him. And the fact is, he's just being realistic. This is like truth in advertising, right? You wanna follow me, this is where I'm going. So despite the fawning crowds and growing popularity, Jesus knows that these same crowds in just a few days are gonna be calling for his crucifixion. So this is a pretty demanding call to his disciples. So what about you? Most of you in here are believers. What about you? Do you hear these words is for you? Jesus is just being raw and honest with all of us here. They crucified him And if we would follow him, we shouldn't be surprised if we're treated similarly. Next, Jesus draws all by being glorified through judgment. Let's pick it up at verse 27. And I think Jesus prays a little prayer here. He's turning his attention from his disciples to his Father. He says, now is my soul troubled. What shall I say, Father, save me from this hour? but for this purpose I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then it says, a voice came from heaven. I have glorified it and will glorify it again. Crowd that stood there and heard it said that it had thundered. Others said an angel has spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not mine. And then two important statements that I wanna camp on. Now is the judgment of this world now will the ruler of this world be cast out and I here's our main point I when I'm lifted up from the earth will draw all people to myself seems to me that Jesus as he's praying here he confesses that his soul is troubled wouldn't yours be facing what he's facing But then the thought crosses his mind very briefly whether he should ask the Father to save him from that hour. He immediately dismisses it. Why? Because this is the very reason he came. This is the very reason he came. So instead, he prays, Father, glorify your name. So this hour, this time to die, this moment of crucifixion becomes the very crux of all history all of God's eternal plan leads up to this moment and everything God does flows out from this moment Jesus is going to glorify the father by dying on a cross as a sacrifice for the sins of his people and then amazingly God the father answers him and the crowd hears this voice but they they don't understand it apparently Some say that it thundered, and others say an angel spoke to him. But I think this is God confirming to his son that the path to glory is this hard one. It's a hard path, and it runs through suffering and death. And yet, momentous things are going to come from that. Like what? Well, here's our two now statements. Verse 31, Jesus says, now is the judgment of this world. Let's stop there for a second. Now, we tend to think of judgment as coming on that final day, judgment seat of Christ. Everyone will stand before that judgment seat. And yes, that's true. That will happen, but not all judgment is future. Jesus says judgment begins at the cross. And what's what's judged there is the sins of all God's people. The judgment for our sins lands upon Jesus Christ on that cross. And he pays for them. He atones for them. So the cross becomes a dividing line for all people on the planet throughout all history. Either you trust in what Jesus did for you there and are thereby in right standing with God or you reject and the full weight of God's wrath lands on you. The cross judges and the cross draws and judges the hearts of all people. That's the first now statement. Second now statement, Jesus says, "Now will the ruler of this world be cast out." So the cross is not only the, the beginning of judgment on sin, but it's also the judgment on Satan. The cross, at first glance, seems to be Satan's greatest victory, right? I mean, he killed the Son of God. Didn't he stop God's plan? He killed the Messiah. But it's really his ultimate defeat, right? Everything Satan, listen, everything Satan sought to destroy in the garden when he tempted Eve is restored at the cross. The cross actually undoes Satan's dominion. And that's what I think leads Jesus to our main point statement. And I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Now let me emphasize again, this is a strange way to draw all people to yourself. At every turn, Jesus does everything that a PR person would tell you not to do. Like this humble entry into the city, no, Jesus, you should be riding on a war horse. How about the strong exhortation to those who would follow him when those Greek guys come and ask for an audience? I mean, really? This is a hard road? You sure you want to follow me, Philip and Andrew? Sure you want to follow me, Bruce? He's asking me. He's asking you. This is not the way to build a following. This, this is not how you become a social media influencer. It's not how you build the Jesus brand. He's doing it all wrong, and yet still, he's drawing people, they can't help but come. Every day, whether you believe in him or not, you can't avoid him. We see him, especially this time of year, around Christmas and Easter, we always see this, right? Even secular news magazines, and newspapers, and blogs, they're talking about Jesus, they're talking about Jesus. He's the unavoidable issue for everyone in the world. All right, so let me take you then to a contrast with that triumphal entry. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Revelation 19. Verse 11, start at verse 11. Revelation 19, 11, Then I saw heaven opened, and behold a white horse, there we go, there we go. That's the white horse, that's the triumphal war horse, and the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He's clothed with a robe dipped in blood, And the name by which he is called is the word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. That's us, that's us. Let's skip down then. So Jesus is drawing us even as he's returning. We're coming with him, we're being drawn with him. But then skip down to verse 19. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. This is amazing. Here comes Jesus in all this glory and still the people of the earth, the armies of the earth are going to be arrayed against him. They're going to fight against him. Well, we know the end of the story, right? With, with a word, Jesus wipes them all out. The point I wanna make here is this is the triumphal entry. That's more like it, No, no more baby donkeys. Here's Jesus riding on a war horse, but he's still drawing people. He's drawing the attention of us, those who follow him. We're coming with him, to reign with him. And he's drawing the attention of those who hate him. So whichever side of the divide you're on, he's drawing. So, What's that mean for us? Let's kind of apply this to ourselves. Well, it means Jesus is drawing you. Whether you're not a believer at all, or you've got questions, or whether you've been a believer for decades, he's drawing you. And he's drawing you in ways you would not expect. Some of you when you're leaving here today will get on 35 North and you'll go down this ramp getting on 35 North and if you look to your right, you're going to see a billboard. Maybe you've seen it. It's been up there for three or four weeks, I think. It has three words on it, essentially three words, Jesus, coffee, bacon. It's put up by another local church who shall remain nameless. It's a typical advertising ploy, right? Let's equate the name of Jesus with other things that almost everybody likes. I mean, how how many how many don't like coffee? Yeah, not not too many hands going. How many don't like bacon? Bacon. Uh, Wow, there are a couple that don't like bacon. I can't believe it. it. Doesn't everybody? So you see what they're doing here. They're trying to associate the name Jesus with stuff that everybody likes, coffee and bacon. It's a typical advertising ploy. These are good associations. So if we we associate Jesus with these other good things, people will come, they'll be attracted. Now what did we just see Jesus associate himself with? Death, a cross, a cross. Well, I'll give, I'll give them this. At least they're making Jesus the unavoidable issue for everybody driving up 35 going north. Okay, so I'll give them that anyway. But they're trying to draw you to Jesus with coffee and bacon, and Jesus is drawing you with a cross. So how are you responding? If you've never responded to Jesus or you haven't given him much thought or you've pushed him away and just not wanted to deal with him, or maybe you've considered him and rejected him. You can't hide. You will have to deal with Jesus sooner or later. Your eternal destiny hangs in the balance. Maybe, maybe you're a kid or someone in the youth group. You know, you, you just are too busy with other things to think about this, but this is the most important thing you will ever deal with in your life. Or maybe you sense that you're too caught in sin that Jesus wouldn't want you and you're just not wanting to turn away from that sin. You know you're going down the wrong path and you don't care. Well, you will deal with Jesus sooner or later and his call to you is repent and believe the gospel. But now let me address those of us who have been Christians for a long time. How do we respond to the drawing of Jesus? Is this just a message for those who don't know Jesus? Well, Jesus was drawing Andrew and Philip as well, right? And they'd already been following him for three and a half years. So I wanna make three applications to the rest of us as believers since most of you are probably in that category here. So number one, the path Jesus is calling us to is not an easy one. It's not an easy one. Following Jesus has never meant ease and comfort in this life. Jesus says that, if, that you have to love him more than even your own life. And following him sometimes means following him into hardship and suffering and even death. Jesus is on his way to the cross and he's not messing around with those who want to rub shoulders with a celebrity. So just understand that the call to follow is a call to go wherever he leads. And he says he's going down through a narrow gate to a hard road. But second, his promise never terminates on suffering. Sure, we're promised suffering. Through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God, Paul said, right? So yes, he's going to a cross, but the promise doesn't terminate there. Listen to what it says even about Jesus and his suffering in Hebrews 12, 2. It reminds us that we should be looking to Jesus, the founder and perfector of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So Jesus didn't endure hardship because there's some, some uh, glory in being a martyr. He endured it because on the other side of suffering is joy and glory. And he's promised that we get to share in that. So if we're called to be where he is as he suffers, we're equally called to be where he is in glory. And then the third thing, third application I wanna make to us. There's comfort for here and now too. So it's not just glory after we go to heaven. If Jesus walked this road before us, then we know that he's with us and will not forsake us and he will see us through to that joy. So let me ask you, and I'm just gonna ask if, ask you what you're going through to just, and I have names in my mind associated with each one of these questions. Because there's people in our body that are dealing with these things. So are you walking a road of cancer? Or chronic pain? The death, yeah, the death of a spouse or close loved one? Are you watching your marriage come apart despite every effort you make to fix it? Or facing the loss of a job? Or have you been defeated yet again in some sin? Look, Jesus knows the way is hard. And he's drawing you even through those hard things. He's drawing you each morning when you get up to come to him through his word and prayer. He's drawing you through all the good gifts he gives you each day, life and food and breath and strength. He's drawing you through all those common graces, a house to live in. He's drawing you this morning through, this, through worshiping him here with the saints, hearing the word preached, celebrating communion He's drawing you. In everything that's happening in your life, even right now, learn to hear the drawing voice of the savior. And in that voice, hear the love and compassion of one who's walked the hard road before you. And he will bring you safely through whatever hard things he asks you to walk through until you are in his presence, experiencing pleasures at his right hand forever. Let's pray. Even in the hard things, Father, you are good to us. You have a message for us in every hard thing we encounter in life. No, you haven't called us to an easy road. And we've had it comparatively easy in our culture for 250 or more years. Years. So we recognize that grace and that it's the exception, not the rule. So whatever hard things that you may ask us to walk through in the future, we can know that you're with us and we thank you for that promise. Thank you for drawing us. Thank you for the drawing work that you're doing right now. And thank you that you draw us not with... not with um, Uh, enticements of bacon or coffee, but with a cross that redeems us from our sins. Because without that, we would have no right to stand before you. So we thank you for the cross, and we thank you for all the glorious resurrection power that flows out the other side of that. So come and meet with us now as we come to the table and celebrate your death on our behalf. In Jesus' name. Amen.